My name's Andrew, right? Andrew. I'm gonna I'm gonna type that in so I don't forget it, because I will. Andrew. You'll just edit it out if I call myself something else. Welcome to Hello City, a lighthearted educational podcast about the built environment. My name is Lisa Dunaway, AICP Lead AP, and our guest for today is Andrew. Welcome to the show, Andrew. We appreciate you being on the podcast. Hello, Lisa. Thank you. Um, Would you mind giving us just a little bit about your background? We don't want you to give away who you are or anything, but... Tell us a little bit about your background before we get into the lesson. I am a planner in a suburban community in Indiana, and I have been plan- or with that city for about three and a half years now. Cool. And you have um, a couple smaller stories for us related to that city, right? Yes. Yeah. There's a few stories we're going to go through uh, today, but... M- most of today, I was calling it educating the decision makers. So yes. kind of the, the role that planners have in teaching the people that, um, whether we like it or not, get to make the decisions in our communities. Yes, and I think that is a tremendous title. So thank you for coming up with that for me. <laughs> yes, it's uh, one of the kind of the fun parts of the job and some of the most stressful parts of the job is having to educate those around you. Well, I always used to say when I taught that 50% of planning was educating. Yes. So you're, you're validating me. Thank you. <laughs> yes. yes, it is. I feel like it's uh, consuming a lot of my job nowadays, but it's fun. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad you think it's fun. Yes. So, um, okay. so I'll, I'll jump in a little bit. Uh, I, I kind of just want to explain the typical structure of a, uh, a planning department in a city. A little history lesson. Back in the, the 1920s, there were some federal zoning enabling acts um, that kind of standardized this across the country. So I'm going to talk about Indiana, but this is going to be mostly the same anywhere you go. They changed the language a little bit. So right. um, for, a, for a community of my size, um, our planning department... Um, we have a joint planning and building department. You see that a lot because um, those two departments interact a lot. So it kind of makes sense to um, combine those two departments. So what you'll see a lot is that that planning and building department serving as the uh, professional or sometimes quasi-professional uh, staff for uh, the city. But that that department gets to interact, again, as the professional staff uh, with different boards and committees and commissions, city council, mayor, those types of things throughout the city. And and that's where the educational component comes in. So so one of the the big things I like to harp on a lot is um, explaining who works for whom in the the structure. A a lot of times people think, especially in Indiana, where um, we have a, a mayor and city council structure for most municipalities, the planning department and the, the planning director, um, who's in charge of that department, they do not work for the mayor. They get to, they work for the plan commission. And that is pretty standard across most communities. Um, and that is structured so that there's a little bit more stability in the planning department. 
and for some of those uh, long-term goals that the planning department should have. So there's not turnover every four years and there's not um, a new planning director every every four years when there's an election. But that also um, helps to um, allow the planning department and specifically the plan commission to make uh, some sometimes difficult decisions and um, some decisions that especially in an election year um, elected officials don't like to make um, some of those decisions where uh, neighbors like to come out and complain or um, some of the things that might not be uh, they're in the best interest of the community but there might be a few loud voices that don't see it that way um, the plan commission gets to make those decisions um, and the elected officials um, don't get to uh, not have a backbone and because <laughs> uh, far too often that happens. And, and just a, a quick uh, kind of um, anecdote, uh, this is in Indiana, this is an election year for most municipalities. So um, just some recent conversations we've had. Um, there, there's a few really cool uh, residential infill projects here in the community. And um, when I have those conversations with the elected officials, the city council, um, they have a completely different mindset of how we should be acting and how quickly we should be moving these projects forward compared to when I sit down and I talk with my plan commission president or my plan commission. Um, they, mm. they understand that it's the right move. Um, there's going to be a few people that uh, are going to say not in my backyard. Um, NIMBYs, as we, as we call NIMBYs. them. NIMBYs. So uh, <laughs> there's going to be a few of those people that that say, well, I've always had a cornfield in my backyard, or I have never had two homes next to me, always one. So I don't want this project. I don't want this higher density or this higher efficiency of land use here. And I don't think we should have it. And our plan commission, we've done a, a pretty good job training them and showing them what good planning is. So um, they are excited for these projects and they want to move forward on them. Um, it's an election year. So the elected officials uh, want to um, move a little bit slower and cautiously through some of these things. Sure. Well, and I don't know that your average person realizes how many people in their local government are not elected officials. I think if you just kind of go about your daily life, you have an assumption that most people are elected officials. But if we did things that way, government would not function because someone's always up for election. Yes. You have to have people like yourself who are have their positions based on their merit. Yes. and their experience and their education. Yes, and having having a plan commission that is not elected, um, I don't know of any state where it is elected, which is good, but having that um, non-elected body making most of those planning-related decisions, and most, of, at least here in Indiana, those appointments are staggered, so there's some longevity to those plan commissions. Um, when you adopt a comp plan, you're looking decades out to the future, and hopefully some of, you know, you always have turnover, but hopefully some of those members are there in a, a decade or maybe two when you're implementing some of those things. Um, and uh, we don't want that same turnover that you get with elected officials. No. So in, in every state, there are uh, zoning enabling acts that allow um, communities to plan and zone for um, themselves. Here in Indiana, um, that is um, done through a plan commission, but uh, Different states have very similar bodies that you know, they might call it a, a planning commission or uh, plan commissioners or or whatever it might be. But it, but it's a, a body here in Indiana, um, in our community. It's 
it's nine citizen members that uh, get to establish the uh, the vision for the future of the community and guide some of the larger planning decisions that are made and make recommendations on some of those decisions, review projects as they come through, and approve or deny those projects based on their merits. Mm-hmm. Excellent definition. Those members here in Indiana, at least, are primarily citizen members that don't have to have any technical experience. So um, this is where we get back again to educating the decision makers. The, the plan commission at the end of the day, for most things, makes the final decision in the department I work in. Um, even though I'm, the, I'm a professionally trained planner, I went to school for this, and I have a background in this, um, the nine members on the board that I work for, they get to make the final decisions. So um, month in and month out, we spend as much time as we can in the meetings explaining to them what good planning looks like, what they should be looking at, what kind of questions they should be asking, and um, just helping them uh, get the right tools to make the right decisions when projects come their way so that we can, you know, they can make those decisions um, on their own and with our help. Um, They can follow our recommendations but um, so that we get the best products out there. And, and again, that's, um, that's all part of the, uh, the structure that about every state has that those plan commission members are typically citizen members that are not professionally trained in any way. Mm-hmm. Along those same lines, as planners, um, especially in the community I work in, we're typically some of the few professionally trained uh, designers uh, in the building, um, especially if you go to a, a design-based planning school um, like I did, mm-hmm. you are typically the only trained designer or one of the few trained designers in the building. So um, on many different projects, we get called in or we try to stick our head into the project so that we can, <laughs> uh, we can make sure that good design is happening. And um, what I always like to say is we have expectations and standards when a private developer comes to the city and we should be setting the bar so that um, when someone comes to our community and they see a, a project that the city did, they know that that is the standard that everything should be built to. Mm-hmm. So we try to get in there to make sure that um, all of the city-run projects and city-led initiatives are um, the best design things that that we can put out there. Well, they're lucky that they have you with your design training, and I think it's already showing in the kind of work you've been doing since you've been there. So kudos. Yeah, in the past few years, we've, um, and, and, and the work started, I don't want to take credit for it, because the work started years ago before I was ever with this uh, community, but um, it, we, we've been doing a lot of really cool, um, especially for Indiana, very progressive uh, projects, reinvesting and redeveloping our downtown, working on some um, really cool infill housing and some um, non-traditional areas of the community. Um, so just a, a lot of really cool projects that uh, we get to be a part of. And I think it does help having somebody with a design background. Um, mm-hmm. a, a, a number of the people in our uh, planning department have that background. So it's nice having any of us sitting in on the meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from educating our board members, another big thing that we get to do and it's honestly, um, it, it's a fun, it's a fun part. Um, you heard from Patty in the last or in the first episode <laughs> is interacting with the public and educating the public on different ordinances. And and for Patty's story, that does not always go well. But um, 
is that is not the norm. No, she had a kind of extreme situation. You don't normally have to get a restraining order against people. No, I, I have not had to do that yet. <laughs> I, I don't have to do that. No. But, um, yeah, typically having those interactions with people is a time to educate them on why your community does planning and why they have zoning, what the benefits of both of those are, and what role you play in their lives. Um, so a, a lot of times those conversations do start out uh, because somebody was told, no, they can't do that, or they got a citation in the mail. So um, learning how, uh, like Patty had said a couple episodes ago, learning how to de-escalate those conversations and turn them into a learning opportunity. Um, no, you can't do that, but here's why. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, you would not want your neighbor to do X on their property, so we're protecting their rights by limiting what you can do here and, and having that that interaction um, and, and truly listening to uh, the feedback that they have because um, like I always say just because it's it, it's in the ordinance and it's law does not mean it's right mm. um, ju just because it's it's legal and it's what you're enforcing does not mean that it makes sense and it's the best thing um, there's been a number of times where people have um, come to us and and they, you know, they disagree with the way that an ordinance is written. We, we sit down and talk about it and they're, they're right. And, and we start the process to amend it or we at least have those hearings to see it, if this truly makes sense and if it represents the vision of our community. Um, another story comes from a, uh, a developer that does a decent amount of work in our community. Um, he's very familiar with the process. He sends uh, a couple projects a year through our plan commission and through our different boards. And he uh, he also works in some of the neighboring communities. So he um, every now and again, he'll come in and compare different standards they have to us and vice versa. And we learn a lot from him that way. But he came and sat down with us and, and said, um, some of the procedures you have um, and, and it, it was a very boring, kind of a boring procedural thing that he came to us with, but, but he said, some of these procedures don't make sense. X community next door does it differently. It saves them money. It saves us time. Um, it's an easier process. And mm. when he left that day, I said, you know what, Tony, you're right. That that's a better way to do it. And I, I do appreciate, you know, our ordinance is it's, it's law. It's what we're enforcing, but at times it's wrong. So we that day we started the process and we amended that that ordinance and um, we've done that for a number of things that he's brought in and other people have brought in because um, again just because it's it's written in the ordinance does not mean it's the way that we should be doing things and it definitely doesn't mean it's it's right but at some point it hopefully had some rationale why it was put in the ordinance. Sure, and you a good planner like you and we and Patty and I talked about that too just being willing to adapt your ordinance over time, you know, it, nothing stays static and think of how many municipalities have ordinances from the sixties still, you know, that's not all that uncommon because it's not easy to update them, but that's your job. Oh, yeah. You know, that's part of your job is to keep things current and relevant. Like imagine if we just decided that we were never going to deal with cell phone towers, like, Forget it, you know, yeah. that would be a horrible mistake because they're a reality now and we have to plan for them. Yeah, and, and there's communities and, and, and all across our state and I would assume across uh, the whole country that, that take that stance that 
this is the letter of the law, even though it was written back in the 60s before, yeah, things like cell phones existed. Um, and this is what we're going to enforce by God. And right. that's not, I don't think that's the best mindset. And I don't think that's how you keep a community um, growing and, and changing and uh, moving with the times. But there, yeah, there's far too many communities where um, what's written in the ordinance is, you know, hard and fast. That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, I know of the the community that Patty works in, and um, I, I think it's a lot easier in the size of community that I, I work in. I'm in a much smaller community than hers. Um, and because of that, um, I, I wear many hats, but um, I get to, when, when things like that come in and, and we wanna make amendments to ordinances and people wanna change policies, it's much faster and honestly, there's less red tape to go through sure. um, to get that in front of somebody and just, you know, take it to an ordinance committee or take it to my plan commission and say, here's the recommendation we got. Can we have a conversation about this? Sure. Um, and, and just being in a smaller community makes that a lot easier. So I know, I know Patty's pain. And I also know that um, it's going to take a long time to change some of the, uh, some of the provisions that they have. And um, for those larger communities, your your zoning ordinance grows in size with the size of your community. So um, there's a lot more things that need to change. There's a lot more um, errors that are probably in there. Um, and it also takes a lot longer to, to update those. So sure. um, I don't I don't envy her at all. <laughs> <laughs> so because your board is making a lot of the decisions and uh, especially in Indiana, a plan commission, or a board of zoning appeals gets to make a lot of the decisions that come through a planning office. Um, education with that board is absolutely crucial. So um, we like to train our board early and often. Whenever a new member gets on, we like to sit down with them for an hour or two and go through just some very basic training, um, as basic as Robert's Rules of Order, so they know how to um, be in a meeting, how to properly. Um, when to ask questions, how to ask questions, how to make motions, those kinds of things. Um, and then also talking about what their role is, because a lot of times they're asked to be on these boards and commissions. And again, they're just a citizen member. They have an interest in planning or they have an interest in the development of the community, but they don't know exactly what a plan commission does either. So we like to tell them exactly what their role is, what, what they're there to do, what authorities they might have or not have and um, kind of give them that time to uh, explain our relationship with them, that we're the professional staff, that we do a lot of the review work, and we um, make recommendations on all the decisions that they get to make. So they can ask us those questions. They can ask the petitioner those questions. We also like to um, train them on what, quote, good planning is, just some of the, the basic elements of why we plan, and what we should be looking for and what some of the um, kind of common or current trends are uh, at the time. Anytime we go to a conference, whether a state conference or a national um, American Planning Association conference, we come back and we kind of debrief our boards and tell them, this is what we learned. Here are some of the sessions we went to and try to take that knowledge that we now have and, and give it to those board members. So that they can make some of the, the good decisions that uh, we want them to make. So that's super cool. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it kind of gives them a chance um, to, again, learn, learn what that, you know, 
quote unquote good planning is. And, and we can come back and say, you know, when I was in uh, at the national conference, you know, someone from Phoenix, you know, came and presented so-and-so and, and we'll bring them pictures and show them what this city's doing, what that city's doing. Or I met somebody from a similar community in Colorado and we exchanged some ideas and, and here's what I think would be good. Mm. And, and you can pull from those other communities, um, not only from across the state, which we do a lot, but pulling from communities across the country, which is really cool to do. That is super cool. Yeah. And, and finding what worked and what didn't in those communities and bringing it here or avoiding it here. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's just a cool opportunity. So another thing we like to do with our boards is just explain to them why the ordinance is written the way it is. Um, to us, you know, I, I went through um, school to be a planner, to be a professional planner. And to me, it, it just makes sense. And it's common sense why uh, certain development standards are in place. But to them, it, it seems arbitrary. And uh, we spend time every month explaining why certain standards are the way they are, what, what purpose it serves. And sometimes that leads to a good discussion of whether or not we should have that standard in place or uh, whether or not we should still be regulating that or if we're, we're doing it the right way or the wrong way. Um, and sometimes that leads to changes in the ordinance. It has a number of times for us. So, so having that, just that time to explain to them, um, again, it, it seems like common sense to me, but these are, you know, these are citizen planners that want to be involved. They don't have any professional training in this for the most part. Mm. And they, uh, they just want to know why, why do we have this ordinance the way it's written? Um, yes, I'm enforcing it, but why am I enforcing it? What, right. What's the reason and what's the purpose? Yeah. I mean, nothing wrong with that question at all. No, it's not. And sometimes, I mean, there's been a number of times where I have to shrug at them and say, I don't know, that seems kind of arbitrary. You know, that, that number doesn't make sense or that doesn't seem standard. Um, I don't know why we say 15 foot instead of 20 foot. <laughs> and yeah, there's been a lot of times where I have to shrug and say, maybe that doesn't make sense. And maybe this needs to lead to an amendment, um, which again is just, you know, being flexible. And I guess we've trained our board to know that if, if I shrug and don't know the answer and none of us can figure out why, maybe we should revisit it. And uh, they ask for that a lot to uh, to revisit and see how other communities handle certain things, and um, especially if the question comes up a mul you know multiple times in a given year, um, they'll come back and say, um, "I think we need to look at this, and I think we need to figure out if it still makes sense. It might be the right number, it might be the right provision, it might be accomplishing the right thing, and we just had a you know an odd string of these uh, issues come up, but." there's probably a better chance that there's something wrong here and we, we need to fix it. So it, it's just training your board, especially the boards that you work most directly with um, to be, to be educated and make those, uh, those good planning educated decisions um, month in and month out um, because you are asking them to make some very crucial, very important decisions. They're creating new neighborhoods in your community neighborhoods that will be here for generations to come. Mm -hmm. So these are very important decisions that hopefully weigh heavy on their, on their hearts as they make those decisions and they take the time necessary to make a, uh, a well thought out decision before they vote. But um, you want to give them as many tools as you can to make the best decision possible. Sure. That was excellent. 
I think we learned a lot of really important things that will help for future episodes because you've explained some of the, the most crucial basic starting points, um, you know, like a plane commission. Like you said, Indiana is not one of those states that has strange outliers when it comes to stuff like that. Sometimes at conferences, you'll hear people tell funny stories about the thing their state does that's so different from other states yeah. and everybody chuckles, but we're, we're pretty, you know, right down the middle yeah. when it comes to how most planning commissions work, planning departments work. Yeah. And for the most part, I mean, whether for good or bad, uh, when the uh, planning and zoning enabling acts came through at a federal level in the sixties and then later on, um, Indiana adopted and enabled that uh, locally, we haven't changed that much. Um, so that kind of standard template hasn't changed a lot for us. Um, they tweak it every year. The The General Assembly gets in there and they, they mm -hmm. mess things up. But for the most part, <laughs> it's uh, about the way that it started out um, you know, 50 plus years ago. So, wow. so there's not a lot that's changed. And so you can, I mean, you can go to the national conferences and have those conversations and relate to every other planner in the room for the most part. Um, there are those states that have made some things weird, but right. once, for once, Indiana is not that state. No, we're, we're very average. I always like hearing from like Texans and stuff and places where they like don't have zoning, you know, like, how do you do that? Yes. That's or, amazing. <laughs> or states like Hawaii when it's, where it's statewide zoning, like. Yes. Just very structured. Yes. Yes, I fascinating. Yeah. So maybe I can get a Hawaiian planner on here someday. That would be amazing. That'd be cool. Yes. Do they even have local planning? I I have never talked to any planner in Hawaii. Oh my gosh. Maybe someday they'll hear this episode and email me. Yeah. Hello City Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> and and they can come tell their story. Not that yours wasn't fascinating. Like that was such good stuff. I really appreciate you taking the time to record this and um, be one of the first guests. Yeah, it was fun. You'll have to have me back. Oh, for sure. Some funny stories here soon. There's always crazy things happening in the department. So That's the problem with being a progressive planning community is that crazy stuff comes up. You're the first. <laughs> yes, we, we, <laughs> we always have something crazy, some new uh, thing popping up. And yeah, th there'll be something here soon. I'll be able to come back and and tell you about and laugh about hopefully that'll be great wonderful so thanks again to andrew for being my guest on episode three if you would like to be a guest on a future episode please email me at hellocitypodcast at gmail.com if you have a story about the built environment that can help us learn something at the same time that'd be awesome you don't have to be interviewed. If you'd rather not be interviewed, you're welcome to just email me the story and I can read it in a future episode and turn that into the lesson. And please join our social media. We are at Hello City Pod at Twitter, Hello City Podcast on Instagram, and also the YouTube channel is also Hello City Podcast. And that will be for bleeped versions of episodes. So if there's ever any explicit words, I will put the bleeped versions on YouTube in the future and also hopefully be able to get closed captioning for future episodes for the hearing impaired.
Thank you again for joining me for episode three. I hope you have a great day and remember, make no small plans. See you next time.
also the stories I have tonight aren't all that funny. They're relatable, but they're not all that funny. Like <laughs> that's when okay. I was, when I was thinking up stories, I was like, I know like stories to tell on this, but like they're not the funniest thing. So I'll save the funny ones for later because <laughs> yeah, later this month we hear about the uh, emotional support swine. <laughs> so that one's probably going to go to court, and then in a couple oh, months. Oh God, I can't wait for that one. <laughs> oh, it's going to be. I I cannot wait for that to be over. <sighs> I have to call the lady back tomorrow and. It's going to be something else. To say. I just, I cannot tell you how excited I am that there will be an episode I get to title Emotional Support Swine. 